everyone, and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, we will be talking about the ninth episode of Riverdale Season 5, Destroyer. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, who would never lie to me about my blood type, Kirsten McKinnis. Kirsten, how are you doing this morning? You know, I'll be better when we're done, I think, with this. This may have been the worst episode of television I've ever seen. You had told me that before I watched the episode, and I was getting really nervous, but I think I like this one better than last week's, mostly because there were just... Really? I mean, I found the key party thing to just be so cringy and, like, forced. I mean, last week was bad, but at least there wasn't a hate crime. Yes, true. I mean, definitely. Like, I'm not condoning the actions made in this episode oh, more no, so I than last week. I didn't think that you were. I didn't I'm, think you were. I'm just saying, I think for me, from, like, a podcasting perspective or a notes-taking perspective, it was really nice to have, like, several people's plots intertwined in the whole football thing, so I just didn't have to break it up as much. That was helpful. I just, I, I did not enjoy this episode. I just did not, it wasn't fun. Okay. Well, I did. Let's talk about it. Maybe we can change your mind. I, I helped you, I helped you out with your low expectations. You did. So it was able I, to exceed them. I think them. that's the thing. Yeah. So this episode starts out, as usual, with a Jughead voiceover. The science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke said this about aliens. Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. Why are they trying to make Jughead look like Johnny Depp? Would love to know where Jughead is. He has this whole like alien scanner setup thing and he's like sitting in a basement somewhere. Where is this? It kind of looks like he's in the old FBI office, but like I have no clue where he is. It's not Pops. It's not the Andrews it's house. It's not the bunker, And it's right? not the bunker. So I don't know where he is. I feel like there was a deleted scene we missed of like Jughead moving out of Archie's house. Well, because they couldn't live together long term because they're not actually friends. Also, where was Eric in this episode? Missed him after having like out just two Eric episodes back to back. Being a firefighter. <sighs> okay, whatever. So let's start with the Friday Night Lights plot line here, which was really the Archie, Veronica, and Cheryl plot line. Kind of also Hiram and Reggie. There was like a lot of people in this plot line. The show keeps trying to make us care about high school football and it's not working. Yeah, I have a feeling that we're going to cover this plot line pretty fast, even though it took up a lot of scenes. They're Basically, the Bulldogs are not doing well. They keep losing like zero to big numbers. Like they can't score at all. It's absolutely wild when you just recruit the bare minimum number of players who've never played a sport before and then they can't just immediately win a bunch of games. It's just, it's wild. So there's like a couple things going on here. Obviously, the personnel situation with the really small team of untrained players. Not personnel. Archie gives a lot of like pep talks, but he doesn't seem to be like teaching them how to play better, which I think is key. Look back on Archie's football days. Did he go to practice? Does he know how to play? I don't think so. I don't know about that. Yeah. And then there was like a really small side plot here with this cheerleader named Cassandra who we're meeting for the first time. This was an overarching thing in the whole episode. We got to meet a lot of like individual students. Like a lot of students had little bit parts. Britta had a little bit more of a part. There's another football player named Derek that we had a little bit of convos with. We'll get to Lerman later. And then, of course, Cassandra. Cassandra has like a line where she's talking to Cheryl and is like, we're wasting our time cheering for these football players. We should be practicing for regionals. 
Cheryl's. And then this kind of plot doesn't really go anywhere because Cheryl just like agrees to keep cheerleading. Well, yeah. And it's so bizarre because Tony's whole idea of bringing back the River Vixens was so that they could be the sports team and they could be doing competitive cheerleading. And now Archie has decided football matters. And so it's like, okay, guess the cheerleaders are just going to do football and nothing else. Well, it shouldn't be an either or thing. I mean, everything I learned from Bring It On was that you like, you know, cheer at the practices, but then you also do your own stiff. I think that Tony should have brought in a gymnastics team. Oh, that would have been good too. Or like a dance team. Just like, oh, this this school doesn't have a gymnastics team. So that's why I'm here. This school (laughs) has no gymnastics team. This is the last resort. (laughs) Yep. So the other problem here, of course, is that there's no one in the stands and we like just don't have a lot of town support. Nobody, nobody lives there. Like, isn't the whole thing that the only people left in Riverdale are the ones living like in tents and stuff? I also just don't buy this. Like, if there's a hundred kids at this school and there's a football team, those hundred kids are going, like, or at least 50 of them are going to the football games. Like, yeah, that's still a small number, but it's not like nobody would go. These football players, I'm sure, have friends. They can't convince their own friends to go. There's, yeah, there's nothing else to do in Riverdale except, I guess, start fires. So why wouldn't you go to the, the high school football game? Or And also, like, these kids' parents, you'd think, would also go to some of the games. Right. It's just, like, it's a weird premise that they've set here. But either way, they need to motivate the town and the football players and Archie. I need motivation, too, Veronica. Ugh. So Ugh, shut up, Archie. It's so gross. And, and Veronica's first instinct is like, oh, the way to motivate the players is to pay them, which I was immediately scared about because I've seen enough DCOMs to know that like when you pay kids to do stuff, it somehow disqualifies them from the competition or whatever. But this doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Although she does say that she's going to give 10 grand to the first person to score, which was Britta in this episode. So Britta's get 10 grand coming toward her. She better get 10 grand and they better be in real dollars, not river dollars. <sighs> I bet they're river dollars. So Veronica asks Pops to host a pancake breakfast to get more town stuff. Tabitha also, for like a businesswoman, she's handing out a lot of free stuff all the time. She's like, yeah, I'll sponsor your team and also just have this free pancake breakfast. Unless I mean, unless it's like Veronica's paying for it, but then it's free for all the people to attend. But still. I mean, she br- put in the gas pumps. She brought in the truckers. She's a, a businesswoman. So if she's bring- giving away free pancakes, there must be a reason for it. Yeah. Also, like, for the one to give something away for free, pancakes are like one of the most cost effective things to give away free. I mean, I've been to many pancake breakfasts. They're usually not free. It's usually like you pay five got bucks and get endless pancakes. See, I have a different perspective just because I lived in Calgary for so long. And so there's like the stampede breakfast. And so there's like tons of free pancake breakfasts all over the city for like two days straight. Like you could get free pancakes every day for 14 days. Easy. Hmm, Never heard of that. So then Veronica is like going to have a weird moment where she says, oh, don't order any maple syrup. I have a maple syrup supplier. Tabitha is agreeing to order maple syrup. Why, Why do you need to go to Cheryl? Is this like a boosting Cheryl's maple thing as well? Also, I did know that the maple business was still happening, but whatever. So Cheryl says no, and also I refuse to cheer, and then Cheryl agrees at the end of this one more game, and I guess also that she agrees to give the maple syrup. Archie goes over the loudspeaker. This is, like, not something that would fly. First off, he's, like, super angry, and he's just basically like, hey, kids, get your asses out of here, because your your team is doing really well, and you need to go watch them. Why don't you support the team? Like, that would not motivate high school students. It's like, this is just a guy in his mid-20s yelling at teens. Like, stop that. Don't do that. 
How about just don't that do that? That was a mess, and that is not something that would, like, either fly at the school or, like, anger is not a good motivator for teenagers. So then we have the pancake breakfast where Derek is made team captain, but then his mom is like, nah, I'm pulling him to a different school where he can get a ticket out of this town. Don't blame his mom. That sounds like a great idea. And then Reggie comes in and is like, we need you guys to withdraw from the well, league. Well, yeah, it's, but, like, that's a key. It's, it's kind of a complicated thing, too, though, because it's like, yeah, you would think, okay, you want your kids to go to a better school, but then it's like, think about all the people who don't have that opportunity to just pick up and leave. Like, it would be better if some of the, like, the people with resources stayed and put those resources back into the school, no, right? No, I, I agree with that, but I'm saying, like, for Derek, for, if, if I'm Derek's mom and I have the ability to leave and I want the best for my son, like, I understand where she's coming from. Yeah. Of, like, why should my son be the one to sacrifice? Like, I do, I do think that, like, overall, yes, for community building and for, you know, if, if her priority was helping Riverdale, yes, they definitely should stay and that would be really good and that would uh, help pull people in. But, you know, people be selfish. Like, so much of this episode hinges around, like, oh, yeah, Derek is so good at football. They haven't scored once. I know. He that, can't yeah, that be was that weird. good. Like, I, it, that's what made this so weird to me is, like, there were no actual stakes in this football team because we don't see them succeed ever and we're told that this person is good at football, but we don't see them being good at football. And it's like, what's the point? So Hiram in this episode or in this season is like somehow both scarier and way less scarier than he ever was before in Riverdale. Because if you remember back to like when Jughead was going to Stonewall and Archie, like the Bulldogs were literally getting beat up like in alleyways by the Stonewall Stallions who were coming like breaking their legs. What is stopping them from doing that now? Like now they're just like, we'll "We'll see you on the field and we'll play hard. Hard. Hiram tries to get Reggie to do that, and Reggie refuses. Well, right, but like, there's no one else Hiram can ask to do it. Like back in the day, it he was just the no other minions. It was just the Stonewall uh, football team themselves who were doing it. And so I, I find like the stakes of this match are or this football game. Our Veronica confronts Hiram and is like. We're going to make a wager where if we score at all, you need to convince the commissioner of this football league to stop trying to muscle the Bulldogs out. And if we don't score at all, then we'll withdraw from the league voluntarily. This is like the lowest stakes thing ever. Like that, I mean, Veronica didn't ask for more. Like, how about <laughs> back out? Like, it's just this, the, the the deal is if we score, try to try to convince the commissioner to stop having the, the Bulldogs, you know, be targeted. Hiram can just like one time be like, maybe don't and then not actually try. And he's like, well, I tried. Yeah, no, I don't care about this at all. Um, I don't care about high school football whatsoever, except for when we're talking about the highs and lows and the triumphs and uh, tribulations, defeats or whatever. But like this, ugh. If it's not happening in jail, I don't care about it. So Derek's going to transfer to Stonewall Prep. He gets a a football scholarship, right? Yeah. And she's like, oh, great. I have an idea of how we can motivate the players. So she introduces the team to a professional football player from the quote unquote New York Goliaths. We'll come back to that. And some guy named T-Dub shows up and he's a, he was apparently one of Veronica's clients at her jewelry store in New York. He gives them a pep talk and then a bunch of other kids appear to want to play football. So I guess they get a bigger team. I don't know. They needed at least one more person. Unclear how many they have at the end of the Yeah, episode. they did need at least one more person. So there's a couple close but no cigars there. Oh, yeah. Is there one for T-Dub? Like, who is T-Dub? Is that so a thing? So I think, based, based on my Google searches, I think that T-Dub 
might be a play on um, Dub Jones, who was in the a football player like way in like the 40s. Who did Dub Jones play for? Um, it looks, looks like, like the he Browns. played primarily for the Cleveland Browns. Okay, but um, also at one point played for the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers, which folded in 1948. So T Dub may or may not be a close but no cigar. We'll come back to that. But the the Goliaths, the Goliaths certainly are certainly on for the the, yeah. the Giants. So this is where Hiram is going to be like, no, Veronica has somehow convinced the town to be a town and be happy so you need to go break some kids legs and Reggie's like no and then Hiram's Mm -hmm. like fine I'm gonna coach this game and Reggie's like okay I'm gonna go to the bulldog side then like Reggie has no loyalty it doesn't seem like he's just kind of like he never has like like Reggie has always just been kind of a question mark but I guess what I'm saying is like this is what I'm saying about Hiram not being scary is like two seasons ago Hiram would be like Reggie if you go over and cheer for the bulldogs I'm literally gonna hunt you down and kill you yeah no I don't, Hiram hasn't been scary in so long. Like, I don't care about Hiram. And that's, I think, the, one of the major issues with this show right now is that they're still trying to make us think Hiram's the big bad. And it's like, I don't care. I, I literally could not care less. Plus, like, Reggie, like, Hiram should not let Reggie just go on this thing. I mean, unless Reggie's like, I'm going to cheer for the team, but I'm, I'm still working for you. Because Reggie knows way too much about whatever Hiram's plans are. Maybe he's right about blackmail. Should we tell Robin Akiva that Riverdale is uh, their Giants fans instead of Jets fans? Probably. We should also talk to Akiva about watching this episode. I, I'm i not doing that to him. What about Chester? No. Oh, my God. What? You want to hear Chester's thoughts on this horrible episode? I don't know. Maybe. Could be fun. Tom Palmer was like, ooh, time to get a sports expert on. And it's like, listen. To be fair, we don't really know what's going on in the sports section of the, yeah, this episode. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Why do, we, why do we need to know what's going on in the sports section? It doesn't. Here's what's going on. The Bulldogs suck. Right. And they're bad Except- at the game. Except we have the final game of the episode, Stonewall versus Riverdale, where it appears to be that Britta is now the captain. Cool. There's also a Pops food truck, which is fun. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty cute. I feel like that's a good... Well, if Riverdale was a larger place, it would be a really good business decision. Yeah. But I feel like as of right now, it's like not really necessary. Unless I guess maybe she takes the food truck to Sodale. That would be good. Cheryl performs Stupid Love with the cheer squad. Thoughts on that? That was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was so awesome awkward. That's like the song, like it didn't even feel like a song getting performed live at all because it was so heavily auto-tuned. It just, it came out of nowhere. It was horrible. Cheryl's like, yeah, I'm going to give them something to watch. An adult woman dancing with the cheer squad. Like, Cheryl, stop it. I would just like to point out how weird this would be in real life of if you're going to a high school sporting event, but the high school team has like an adult dancing with them. That is so odd. It's weird and it was like it wasn't even done well like it was just bad like I was uncomfortable watching it also she's wearing red when they're literally playing against a team whose colors are red and that's the other thing we talked about this with graduation she wore the River Vixens uniform she's okay wearing the blue and gold not as a coach she's not so uh, let's see Archie gives a pep talk for the kids to not give up on themselves and then Britta's gonna score a point in like a pretty masterful move where I'm like it it's not just her running like other teammates are like blocking people and stuff and I'm like why have they not been doing this all game like, I wh- what? would just like to point out um, it, it was a touchdown it's worth more than one point <laughs> okay whatever I'm just they're on, they're on the board it doesn't make a difference I mean how many points is a touchdown 
seven, six, six, right? Six, six, and then you do the the field. Okay, goal. that's what I thought. I wish that they had done a really dramatic field goal scene. Eh, oh well. Hiram smashes a clipboard, and Reggie in blue and yellow cheering in the stands. And they still lose. They lose by a lot. They just scored one yeah, but touchdown. Hiram's mad because now he has to uphold his deal with his daughter because you know he's a good guy who upholds deals. I just again, I could not possibly care less about any of it. Let's talk it's about so Faven. Dumb. So yeah, so I didn't take what happened last time to be a breakup. I thought it was just like they have a lot to talk about. But then Kevin is moving out to live with Sheriff Keller. What? We don't, we still don't really know what's going on with Kevin. Last episode, my thought was something big is going on with Kevin because he is being very self-destructive here. He's got like everything he's ever wanted, but for whatever reason, he's unsatisfied, which kind of correlates to this episode. But they're really all of a sudden leaning into this idea that like Kevin can't give up cruising, which the thing is, Bangs literally said last episode, like, it's fine if you want to keep cruising. I'm okay with that. So it doesn't seem to be a deal breaker. Like there's definitely more here. That's the issue. So I, 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 but it just, for what? What is this for? What is the purpose of this plot line? I don't know. Cheryl brings Kangs together, which no, we've decided it's Faven. Stop trying to make Kangs happen. Yeah, Kangs is bad. And Fangs is like, Kevin has never been all in. He might be ashamed of being gay. I think it's the kind of thing where nobody needs to put their opinion on someone else's journey with their sexual identity. Like, at the end of the day, uh, whether Kevin has come to terms with it or accepted it or whatever, that's his personal business. And, like, it's not up to other people to make a decision on, like, a value of if it's, if he's, you know, accepted himself enough or if that's right. Like, it's just not literally anyone else's, but, like, even for if it was another gay man to say that. Like, guess what? It's not up to you. Yeah, it's not up to Fangs, but I do think that, like, for Kevin and Fangs who were engaged in in trying to get married, I think Fangs is like, I want to help and I want to support you and I want to go, like, work on this with you. I want to know all your good and bad sides and, like, work on this together. And so I do do think he's, like, coming at this from a place of love of just, like, if you're not going to figure this out with me, then it does seem like something you should still probably figure out to help yourself. Yeah, but it's it's also the thing of like Kevin can talk to a therapist about his feelings. Like I I I think that if there are, if he has complicated emotions that he has hasn't unpacked and that he doesn't feel comfortable talking about with Fangs, then he shouldn't be like forced into that situation to have the conversation. Like this whole plot line just feels so like thrown in for no reason. I, yeah, I really don't know where they're going with it yet because the next thing we get is Kevin back in the steam room who there is he has this sort of I don't know back and forth with this guy named Shane who I don't know they're having like a friendly maybe maybe bordering on somewhat flirty conversation but it could also just be completely friendly platonic Shane talking about he's yeah, from LA and I mean they're he, vibing they're vibing I mean Kevin says like oh haha the guys from LA they really are hot or something like that and Shane Shane like seems to to roll with that compliment and then Shane's like oh what do they say about the guys in Riverdale and when Kevin then takes 
that to mean that Shane might be interested, he, what does he do? Like put his hand on Shane's knee or something like that? It was hard to tell. Like it wasn't really like, he definitely like made a move, but it wasn't like very, like overt really. Well, yes, but I do think about like if I was in a steam room wearing just a towel and someone like put a hand on my body, I might be a little bit like, whoa, that's a, that's like a bridge too far. You would say, oh, wow, what the F? Oh, you yeah. wouldn't no, attack and then this, them physically. No, you do not. I mean, resorting to violence in any case is like not wonderful here. I just like, I was really in a, I was already sitting here like, oh, this episode is bad and I'm not enjoying it. And then it was like, oh, a hate crime. Awesome. This, they also had to introduce that. Like, and it was such a like flipped switch. Like this guy seems to be friendly talking, like vibing with Kevin. And then instead of just being like, oh no, sorry, like not interested instead of and, and like and, and, and it also would have been completely his right to be like not interested and also please don't touch me like that's not okay but instead he just like completely I mean but that is also like a thing that happens in the world where like people will attack somebody oh oh yeah no no I, I completely understand that I'm just saying like it was a weird move for the show to be like trying to convince both Kevin and the audience that this guy might be interested and then completely yeah it like was- go from one to the other you know I I didn't we didn't need that we didn't need it yeah we didn't need it so then Kevin a, a very beat up Kevin is talking to his dad again and his dad's like I want to help I feel terrified for you because of clearly everything that's happening in your life and Kevin is like I think I might be ashamed for being gay but then he sort of tells a story that doesn't really I don't know it, it seems like he was ashamed because his mom made a comment like that he was gaining some weight when they went shopping once and she said she might need to buy him husky clothes and then he like retreated to Fox Forest to be alone and he didn't even know it was a cruising spot and then some guy there told him it was cute which made him feel good and ever since he's been cruising like he's hardwired to basically get like self-respect from I don't know other other men or something. This again also kind of goes into what we talked about I think last week about how this show is like weirdly moralistic about some things because again they're assigning the value of like if Kevin if Kevin wants to cruise and engage in like casual sex that that's like a bad thing that shouldn't be happening and if he does it it's because he's ashamed and it's like no people can enjoy casual sex like that's that's fine actually if he does have like these underlying reasons why he's um, relying on it for validation like sure that's something that should be maybe talked about with the therapist of like I had this like traumatic experience and now this is how I cope like sure talk about that but again it's like it all comes back to people like they make it seem like it's just not okay for people to have casual sex and like that and and again this is my point that I made last week that still bugs me and I heard another Riverdale podcast make the same point too so we're us Riverdale podcasters we're in sync which is (laughs) is that this is a deviation from the already planned storyline and reason from the writers of why Kevin was cruising and I mean that's fine maybe when he was younger he was cruising because there were not any other openly gay men in his school and he was looking for a partner. He specifically has an argument with Betty in one of the early uh, season two episodes where he says, like, you're lucky that you can go and just sort of find a guy to date and experiment with him and whatever. But oh, if I need to find a partner in this way, it's somehow looked down upon. Like, I don't have the same opportunities that you do. And that was his reasoning back then was I can't find a relationship among the guys at school. So this is where I'm looking. But flash forward seven or eight years to where he already has been in a relationship with Fangs for a long time. He already 
has that. So now he has a different reason for cruising. But in this episode, they're trying to like backtrack it and say, no, 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 no. His reason for cruising all along was because he needed validation in this way. And it wasn't because he was looking for opportunities that he didn't have in school like Betty did. So it can be both things, but don't try to rewrite something that you already did that completely changes Kevin's entire personality. I just, uh, I don't know. I just don't get it. Yeah, it was, it was uncomfortable. I mean, I'm not sure I 100% agree with you that like Fangs should not at all like try to intervene when the person he loves has something that like needs to be worked through. Like I do think that that is Fangs' business and like Fangs wants to help. I I think it's Fangs' business if Kevin is not doing well and wanting to help him, but it's not Fangs' business to be like, I think you're not doing well because you haven't accepted being gay and let me help you. You don't get to do that. Like I, I think if he had come in being like, listen, Kevin, obviously there's a problem and you've got something to work through and I want to work through it with you. That's a much more productive conversation than being like, listen, I think you're having trouble because you're not accepting that you're gay and let's work through that. Because that's just going to put Kevin on the defensive. Like if Kevin's, if Kevin's issue is that he has not accepted himself for being a gay man, which it could be true, could be not true. If he's not ready to have that conversation, he's not ready to have that conversation. And it's not really right for Fangs to force it to be about yeah, that. Do you, like, do you I, get I, the, I, the I, distinction I you're saying? I think I just interpreted differently if I didn't think that Fangs was being like, this is the reason and we need to talk about it. I thought Fangs was more like, I want to help and something is wrong. Is it this? And then, and, uh, you and know, and to I, me, and, like, like, I just don't think that, I, I just don't think he even should have done that. I think he should have yeah. just been like, something is going on, like, let's talk about and, and it. And I do think that, like, Sheriff Kevin Keller, him. Sheriff Keller kind of did a, a better version of that with being more just like, I see that there's a trouble. I worry yeah. for you. I want to help you. And then, yes. and then Kevin sort of provided it's, it's his like, own information. When you come to someone being like, I know what the problem is, or like, even implying like, oh, is this it? Is this it? Like, it just kind of puts the person who's already going through a hard time on the defensive, right? And it, it just makes them like that much less likely to want to talk it through in that moment. I just think it's not effective. And especially when it gets into such a sensitive topic of like, whether someone does or does not accept themselves based on their, their sexuality, it just like gets all the more muddy. And it just to right. me is like not. And it, and it also depends here what Kevin's real feelings are. Because if Kevin's real feelings are that he does really like things and is just something else is causing him to self-sabotage, if that's really the case, then I do think that Kevin should try to, you know, by whatever means of help he needs, get to a point where the person that he actually does like and wants to marry, that he should be hopefully get to a point where he can openly communicate with them. That would be good for Kevin. If Kevin's real answer is, actually, I'm not that interested in Fangs and I feel like I want want something else, then yeah, he doesn't really owe Fangs anything. I mean, you know, it'd be nice to owe him something as like a friend, but like, you know, there's a different circumstance. But we're really just, we're not really getting, like, we got some more backstory from Kevin here, but we still, none of this really answers any of the questions of like, what's wrong in his and Fangs' relationship. So, 100%. Still more information. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like more of that plot line that doesn't make sense and we don't know why it's there. Yes. And, you know, as two straight women talking about this, there's probably even more nuances that we don't really <laughs> know about or can identify with. So. Exactly. That all being said. Okay. Let's talk about perks of being a wallflower. Okay. This is the Jughead plotline. <laughs> 
here's the thing. And this was also very bad, and I did not care for it. Honestly, I don't know where we're going with this. Uh, So he calls his agent and tells him that he's now writing about aliens and personal trauma. And his agent, I guess, seems fine with that. Doesn't we don't really know? Yeah, Jughead is like, this is about a town's collective trauma and aliens, and it's all the same thing. I'm like, oh yeah. So in class, there's they they turn in short stories, and one of the kids writes a book titled "As Above, So Below," which is kind of funny because that was a Riverdale episode, and it's written by Lerman Logan, which is hence the naming of this category. Uh, This is a close but no cigar, really dumb close but no cigar for Logan Lerman, who is an actor famously in Perks of Being a Wallflower and also Percy Jackson in the Percy Jackson movies. I mean, can you do this? Is this like a thing? Like, we're not even, we're not even being like Schmogen Schmerman. No, we just mix the names up. It just... Yeah, I didn't... Mm-mm. So, anyway, uh, it's got a creepy drawing on the cover of an alien, and Jughead takes the story to the principal and is like, this is a really dark story about, like, being locked up by mole people and then being captured by mothmen, and I think because Jughead has learned that a lot of alien abduction stories might be uh, told or written by people who have personal trauma, he thinks, like, hey, you know, is, is there any situation with Lerman that I should know about? Like, maybe he has trouble at home. Which I think like there's there's a lot from this plot line that's basically presenting it like Jughead is going way too far trying to help this kid and that he doesn't really have any business in this home life, which is also complicated because like, yes, could be true. This is inappropriate if there's nothing wrong. But if there is something wrong, someone should intervene. Even if there is something wrong, it's not Jughead's responsibility to go directly to the student and talk to them about it. It would be a lot more appropriate for him to go to Tony and say, hey, Tony, here the situation and then Tony as a social worker can actually take appropriate steps to look into it. Right. Unfortunately Tony is, Vanessa Morgan's having a child so she's not in this episode so yeah. that's well. that's unfortunate. But I do think that like while not the norm, I think that there are many many cases in real life of teachers stepping in and helping children with their home lives and those are usually like praised situations of like oh my gosh thank goodness my teacher was there for me when no one else was, you know. So it's I think it's a complicated thing of... Yeah, it's it's like if you're unhappy with how Jughead intervened, it's more so like he should have intervened differently. It should never have been like, oh, Jughead should do nothing if he's concerned. Right. So Weatherby says he's met the parents and they're nice and sometimes the story is just a story. So Jughead does talk with, with Lerman. Although I don't think, like, I don't think the conversation that Jughead has with him is super, super inappropriate. He basically says, like, this story is really dark. Is everything okay? And Lerman says, yeah, they're just based off of scary recurring dreams. And Jughead says, okay. Okay, just wanted to make sure because I've heard that, you know, sometimes alien abduction stories can be written about people who have trauma. That's not exactly, I mean, like, he's he's just saying, just want to just check. I, I don't think that this is, like, wildly inappropriate. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's, it's like not, that bad. He's not like, okay, because I disagree. I think you probably have trauma. Like, like it's it's not like he was like, listen, I I, I think your parents are abusing you. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like, it, it really was, like, a nothing thing. Right. So, but, and, and I also think that Lerman is very clearly acting a little bit sketchy in this scene and like does not appear to be telling the full truth. So there's also yeah. that. I also think this is another example of the show wants us to like be rooting for Jughead that he's like doing a good job. Yeah. So then Mr. and Mrs. Logan confront Jughead and are like, don't talk to my child like that. We're taking him out of your class. This is horrible. And Weatherby is like, one more step out of line and you're going to be kicked out of this school, which I hope Weatherby realizes means the school's also going to be gone because you don't have any more teachers. 
as if Jughead's actually a teacher. Come on. And then, like, two seconds later, Weatherby calls him and is like, wait, Jughead, help. (laughs) Lerman's gone missing. We actually need you now. And you were right. Something's going on. And so Betty's going to find him on the side of the highway. Apparently, he's a sleepwalker, and that's how he's hurt himself in the past. And so his parents had, like, locked him in the basement, which not... I took this to mean, like, it's a converted basement with, like, it wasn't just a small room, but, like, he's got a lot of space because we didn't want to, like, lock him in. It's not like a cellar. It's like there's... It's finished. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he said, like, but one time he slept walked outside and then he was gone for a full week, to which Betty and Jughead are like, wait a second. That doesn't just sound like sleepwalking, then. That sounds like something else. And some good Samaritan, I bet this is going to be Old Man Dreyfus, found him walking on the lonely highway. And so before Jughead can really get any more information about this situation, Lerman's parents pulled him out of school and didn't leave a forwarding address. Yeah. Um, And so we're supposed to be like, ooh, this is mysterious. Yeah, they're definitely trying to connect this with the Mothman and the Lonely Highway stuff that Betty's dealing with. So, Well, so you got the Mothman and you got the Mole Men, okay? Yeah. So speaking of which, let's get to that final section, the Lonely Highway. Please, could we please? So Alice is worried about Polly because of all the blood they found on the thing. Also, we see that Alice is taking Zolpidem. Is this a real thing? I'm assuming it's supposed to be like Zoloft, maybe? It's a, oh, no, it says it's a real thing. It's a sedative. It can oh, okay. treat insomnia. Okay. Huh. So I uh, don't think you should probably be combining that with a full bottle of wine, but Alice, you know what? be a river mom. Ugh, Xanax and a glass of wine. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. It's not fine. Don't do that. Don't I do don't that. recommend yeah. that. I, I don't recommend <laughs> mixing prescription medicine with alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Call your doctor. Uh, <laughs> so Betty says the FBI is looking into the blood and then she'll let Alice know and Alice might want to go back to that support group with the other moms. Is this like other moms whose daughters have also been missing or like the ones that have been found dead or what? I think that maybe they've created a support group of all the moms of missing and and dead women from the Lonely Highway. It also could just be a grief support group. I feel like they should really like look into this Lonely Highway situation. Well, that's what Betty's trying to do in theory. Why has Um, no one done this for years? Well, because there had been no bodies found and there weren't, not everyone was reported missing. So Glenn is going to call Betty. Listen, all that blood was AB negative, which is super rare and it's Polly's blood type. So from this, we can assume Polly is definitely dead. Can you not do a DNA test on blood? I I, don't know how blood works. I mean, I'm assuming your blood has DNA in it. I'm just wondering, like, was there no way we could find out if this was exactly Polly's blood? Like, couldn't they have compared to see if it was genetically related to Betty? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. It just seems, I mean, and with that much blood, there would have surely been other DNA evidence present. You would think. But I, yeah, they're just taking it as blood type. And again, remember, we're watching Riverdale. We have not seen Polly's dead body. And until we do so, I will not be accepting that she has passed away. I still don't think she's dead. So Betty is going to get upset. Screw you, Glenn. I should have. I oh wait. I bet. That. I bet Polly. She's been missing for a while before that phone call. She was probably like, because you can take like a certain amount of blood like every day or every couple of days. She's probably like saving her blood up so that she could fake her own death in this way. Oh, that's clever. That's a good one. Or they were I've doing. I've definitely heard of that in like other like detective stories and stuff. Yeah. So Betty's going to talk with Cheryl and be like. 
like, hey, did it help to know the truth when you found out Jason died? And Cheryl says it was soul crushing, but it is better to know the truth and make your peace with it, which I don't think Cheryl really did because remember DBJ? Yeah, like, it she, took a while for her to make her she, peace. She kept his body, his dead body. So then Betty's gonna lie to Alice and tell her the blood was not a match. And so Alice immediately goes back to her old self and she's like hosting a support group and ordering cold yeah. cuts and all that. So Betty goes to pick up cold cuts from Pops and oh, hey, look, we've got some Betty and Jughead scenes. Mm. Never thought I'd see the day. So Betty tells him all about the Polly situation and he's like, oh, well, I know someone on the Lonely Highway. Let's go talk to Oldman Dreyfus. I love how you call him Oldman. <laughs> Oldman Dreyfus? Oldman Dreyfus. Oldman Dreyfus, yes. <laughs> uh, and so Betty is like, this guy believes in aliens, Jughead. I'm trying to find a serial killer. And they argue about that. And then she's like, drive me back to town. Yeah, and um, Oldman Dreyfus says that uh, the the phone booth has been shredded multiple times. And if um, Polly was in it, she probably died because it got shredded because of like the frequency of their spaceship or something. Yeah, I didn't really follow what I he was talking I about. I didn't understand it. Uh, it was one of those things where it's like, I do not understand what you're saying. And I will like, not listen to it. Radioactive electromagnetic pulses. And I don't know. I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. So I, I just love this argument between Jughead and Betty where Jughead's like, but Mothman. And Betty's like, no, serial killer. And that's really it. Back at home, Betty's going to look a pi- look at a picture of Polly and then have some flashbacks to prior conversations. And then they zoom in on her eye and it's a really intense moment. And, and then, then she gets Betty, a gun out. Betty um, becomes the Terminator and starts pulling uh, sex workers out of truckers' cars. Yeah. So this is a whole thing. She's sort of this like vigilante. I'm saving all the women, even though some of these women might not really be in, in danger and be here of their own free will. Like, but then again, they like, like need the money. Yeah, there's like a lot of questionable stuff here. And then she's going to end up finding that guy, the same guy that she had arrested earlier. Don't remember his name, but Trucker Boy 69 or whatever. Yeah. So she's going to find him and she's going to beat him up. Somehow able to like drag this grown man yeah, out of like a car. She, be- she literally becomes a Terminator. She's like jumping into the trucks, punching people once in the face, dragging them. Like it's actually so intense the way and that I she does that. that. She is not wearing her FBI sweatshirt at any point in this scene. Well, because she's mad at the FBI. Yeah. So she's going to tie this guy to a tree and beat him up and she's almost going to shoot him. But then Jughead calls in the nick of time and is like, hey, Lerman's missing. And then that's when that's when she finds Lerman. And I kind of wonder if we're ever going to get any if if we don't have a scene next episode where Betty sends someone to untie this guy, I'm going to assume this guy died and that she never sent someone. I'm going to say I feel like what actually happened is she hung up the phone and she went back and shot him later. Like, she's, she finished the job. Like, Betty is definitely yeah. a murderer at this point. Betty, she has the serial killer gene. So then Betty and Jughead are like, okay, Polly's disappearance and Logan's, ex- or not Logan, Lerman's experience clearly have some things in common. We should probably talk to Lerman some more and figure that out. But then, of course, he gets pulled from school and yeah, taken away. So tied up that loose end. And then Glenn shows up, tells Alice about the blood type, and also says he's taking over the case. Which it wasn't a case before. What he's saying is now it's an official FBI investigation and I'm the agent assigned. Because again, Betty is not a full agent. Yeah, and like I can understand why Betty's upset because she's been like, I've been trying to get the FBI to take this case seriously for four weeks and they haven't. So I understand why she's rightfully upset about this situation. But also, Glenn is very sus here because he definitely like intentionally came and told Alice. I I don't like Glenn. I don't care for this man. I don't like Glenn. All right, 
that's the episode. Let's get into some thoughts and questions from our listeners. Gregory McBean. Hell yeah. Does Jughead's editor ever stop working? Every time we've seen Jughead call him, he's been at his desk, regardless of time of day or night. That is the writer's way. There just always be writing. People in Manhattan work hard, okay? And then <laughs> Gregory rightfully says, didn't Jughead write a story about killing his principal in high school? Who is he to say what's disturbing content? An I, excellent not point. Not that, but Jughead is all self-righteous when he's talking with Jellybean about like, I can't believe you're making these like fake snuff films and stuff. And he's literally writing a story about killing his principal. So yeah, Jughead really doesn't have a leg to stand on here. Yeah, Jughead. And also he's not a teacher. He doesn't know child psychology. Nope. And unfortunately, the only person who does is pregnant and not on the show. Zev says, how is Betty in the FBI? She dismisses the old man talking about crazy alien stuff when her sister reported being brought into a spaceship like like place at one point. Even if she doesn't believe in aliens, it seems worth talking to the guy for more than two minutes. I agree. I mean, but I feel like when you meet Oldman Dreyfus, you're like, um, I didn't get anything but from I that. I do think that Jughead has a point. Like, we live in Riverdale. There have been so many absurd things happening. So, like, why not just investigate it a little bit, even if we don't believe it? We didn't believe in, like, the Gargoyle King either, but then that was a thing. Well, Tom to Palmer. be fair, the Gargoyle King was also a human. True. Well, maybe the aliens are also humans. I think that's what he means. Tom Palmer uh-huh. says, is it possible that Betty is the TBK? I don't. I don't think, think so. so. I don't think we would be seeing her having traumatic flashbacks, but a fun theory. So the title of this episode, Destroyer, it's based on a 2018 movie with the same name. A young cop, Aaron Bell, went to uncover, sorry, went undercover to infiltrate a gang in the California desert with tra- tragic results. Bell continues to work as a detective for the Los Angeles Police Department, but feelings of anger and remorse leave her worn down and consumed by guilt. So huh. this episode's title is somehow about Betty and not about football. Whatever. Uh, like we mentioned, two close but no cigars. Lerman Logan and the New York Goliaths. Potentially T-Dub. Let us know, though I feel like T-Dub might also just like be a name. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is a T-Dub famously in the RHAP community on it's the same Twitter. One. It's not the same one. <laughs> Do you think that this football player really likes the movie Avatar? I mean, that would have been the deleted scene I'm looking for. <laughs> okay, most normal character. Is it Sheriff Keller? Is it? And bear with me. Is it Tony because she wasn't there? They, you cannot, we cannot give it to someone who's not in the episode. Nice try. I'm down between Alice. No, Alice isn't acting normal. I don't know. I mean, she was, she's rightfully distressed over her daughter's disappearance slash death. And then she is rightfully uh, trying to cope when thinking that maybe she is out there still. I, okay. Or is it Reggie? Reggie refused to break teenager's legs and then he left working for Hiram. We don't know that he actually left working for Hiram. Also, he went to He was to wearing Pops. his letterman's jacket from his old bulldog days. He went to Pops and walked by every single bulldog and said, loser, loser, loser to a bunch of children. <laughs> you can't get and to that Reggie. sounds uh, very normal. <laughs> no, we, we, we've decided. You can't just give it to something that is like a normal characteristic for that character. Okay, what about Man. Sheriff Keller? <laughs> Helping his son move out, rightfully worried about him, yeah. speaks to him in a nice way. I think I think you're right, but I don't feel good about it. Like,
Like, he's the most normal, but he, like, he's not normal. I win, Sheriff Keller. All right, everyone. Oh, yeah, I win. <laughs> oh, okay. Our last river daddy, who may or may not actually be a river daddy. He's not. I'm sorry. All right, let's talk about some scheduling stuff. So I believe that we have a normally scheduled episode for next week, but then we are going to reach a brief yatas. Let me double check that. A dream. A dream. We definitely have an episode next week, the pincushion man, but I think oh. that we're going to have a couple week break after that. So, and also since I will be going out of town next weekend, we may have to record this episode episode like Sunday or Monday of next week. So it might be released slightly later than normal, but we will have a couple week break. So that should be okay. Okay. You know, it's it's spring break time. This is what happens. Sometimes life gets in the way, you know? Yes. Yes. But life always finds a way. The nature is recovering. <laughs> all right, everyone. That's all for this week's episode. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week for episode 10. Until then, you can follow me online at Frail Mary on every platform and you can follow Kirsten said what? Nope. You can follow Kirsten at Kirsten Said What on every platform. And you can check out all the other podcasts that we're both doing. We're both doing Big Brother updates for Big Brother Canada 9 on Rob Has a Podcast. Kirsten is doing BoJack Horse Pod with Lindsay Wilson and also Temptation Island recaps on Rob Has Podcast. We still got several weeks of Temptation Island left. I think we have six weeks left. I think we're exactly Great. halfway. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else from you, Kirsten? No, that is it that is all N- nothing else <laughs> look at us no really. commitment this may be one of our fastest speed runs ever and honestly we went through all my notes i didn't even like really skip anything it's just we didn't have a lot <laughs> here's the thing is i didn't want to dignify this episode with a response okay <laughs> okay all right cool 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 uh, sounds good all right everyone until next time bye Screw you, Glenn.